for it. Yeah, I like my even all the addiction, ugly shit. Uh, did you ever watch My Strange Addiction? Yes. Some of the most amazing stories that you'll ever didn't see. Didn't that just okay? So that started out as a that came along at the time when MTV was like fuck music. We're <laughs> we're just moving into reality shows. But Strange Addiction, I think, was always A and E. Was it? What was the one? True on Life. MTV? True Life. I'm an yeah. ad, or I'm an addict. Or and then they started moving into that stuff. And then you have, and then that moved into Intervention. But yeah, just like the weird things that people are fucking addicted to, which nowadays you realize everybody in one way or another is addicted to something fucking, it's their own little niche or something weird. Yeah, whether it's the Bible or whether it's, you know, hard drugs, everybody mm-hmm. has a little bit of an addiction. The My strange addiction ones, though, it was just so far out of the norm. Like, it was a lady that was eating, addicted to eating mattresses. It was yes. a lady who... Glass? Hus- was there a glass one? Which yeah, one was somebody eating, was eating like- glass... A lady whose husband died, and she would carry the urn with her everywhere she went, mm-hmm. and then sometimes she would eat the ashes to make her feel good. Like, that's an actual thing that somebody is dealing yeah. with. How do you come across anything like that? There's a, I think it's a lady that's married to a roller coaster. It's like, this is, uh, what? <laughs> what are we doing? Guy that, I, my favorite was the guy that was sexually attracted to his car, and it was like an Alero. Like, it wasn't even a great car. But, it was like, in, in the car world, it was a like a five. Uh-huh. It, yeah, <laughs> maybe a, a, a five, a minus five. So, it might have been, a, a it might have been like a, a soft seven when it yeah. first came out, brand new, but it's, when the lights come on in the club, you're not picking the Alero, <laughs> unless there's no other choice. No, it, it just... Everybody has something that's a little bit different about them, and that's kind of what makes the world great. But you don't need to exploit the the differences on TV. Yeah, like like have an understanding that everybody has their own like kink or weirdness about them, and just take comfort in that to understand that you're not alone, and the fact that you have something maybe weird about you. But entertain me a better way. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to we don't need to broadcast it so so fairly. I don't even know if it's something too that. Do you think there's equivalents of all this stuff in every other country in the world? Because, of course, the stuff that we're watching, with the exception of some, you know, some programs and TV shows, most of this stuff is all, you know, centralized, you know, in the United States. Yeah, I I think reality TV is to some extent, but I know like Love on the Spectrum was in Australia or something like that. Like there's mm-hmm. everybody kind of does it. Um who wants to be a millionaire? I think was an adaptation of a British show. I thought that was a show in India. I think it was. Uh, there was one in England that we'll have to do. A fun I'm sure there's one on. in every country. Yeah, that Slumdog Millionaire movie was based upon that show in India, wasn't it? I think so. So it's like we have different stuff like that, but there's a lot of like um, Nikki Glaser's show, that Fuckboy Island. Yeah. Why are we doing this? Oh, there's the new one too with the. Um, is it Milf Island? But they're there with their sons, and the sons are supposed to be hooking up with the other moms and everything. Have you seen that one? Yeah. I forgot that it existed because it's just so... It, it's so fucking weird because we're hitting peak trash, but we're also now at a time where we're like at some other shows like HBO is pumping out like peak, uh-huh. like actual serious programming, and we have all these other shows that are like the epitome of like, it's getting so good. And then you look down at the bottom and it's like, but it's getting so, <laughs> so bad over here. It's something for everybody, I guess. Why the fact that 
people are still watching it is why this shit gets made. And maybe oh, it is yeah. an escape to make people feel better about their own lives, which you watch those shows. It does make you feel better about even if you're, you know, not doing anything great in life. It does make you feel better. You're like, I guess I could always be one of these people. Uh, yeah, I I love watching Intervention High. It makes mm-hmm. me feel a lot better about my situation in life, like just being high. If mm-hmm. you ever have like a a bad you get hit with like a little bit of concern or anything like that. Like, am I smoking too much or something like that? Yeah. You watch you that and you're like, I ain't doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I haven't tried to fight the shadows today, mm-hmm. so I'm doing pretty good. Oh, how do we, how do we merge this into what we're talking about? I don't know. Disasters. I, yeah. I guess we're just talking disasters. There's human disasters human and then there's natural disasters. disasters. disasters and then there's of human caused disasters. Mm-hmm. Caused to themselves and also causing it to nature. This have we have we done a Disaster. I mean, and this is technically a disaster. It's just over the course of like when people think disasters, like disaster porn, like you're thinking there's a stretch of time where what Armageddon, Deep Impact, Day After Tomorrow, San Andreas, Dante's Peak. I mean, every few years there's a disaster porn movie coming out. Um, what was the one with? Was it Day After Tomorrow where it was like the volcano in Yellowstone and Woody Harrelson was like yelling from the mountaintop? He's like, yeah, baby. I can't remember, but there's some fascination that we have with these like weird apocalyptic end of the world type things that I think it kind of blinds us to the fact. And the whole thing, the whole premise with those types of movies is that like at any point, like our you know, we can fuck up the the planet in a way that the planet kind of in turns is like, you guys are fucking this up. I'm just going to try to make it a little bit harder for you guys to live here. Uh-huh. But it, I think at any point, like, we underestimate the fact that we're just like grains of sand on the planet. And if the planet really wanted to have a shift that's completely uncontrollable to us, we, you know, we we can just get fucking eradicated. It, nature is nature and humanity lives in nature, but just because we've figured out how to manipulate humanity does or nature doesn't mean that nature can't just be like, ah, sorry, fellas, we're not doing this one today. How many times is a hurricane? Like you, you get people that, you know, I think we've kind of touched base on this in another episode, but like you get a, how often do hurricanes in fucking Florida and along the Gulf of Mexico happen? And it just wipes out, you know, a ton of people dead. And then literally as soon as it's done, people are like, all right, let's go rebuild. Yeah, multiple times a year. Like, if one of them wasn't bad, like, if one of them was a three, like, hey, we lived through that. When everything's cool, we'll stay around. We'll mm-hmm. rebuild what the three did. And then six months later, or not even six months later, probably, like, because hurricane season's only, like, a few months. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, six you weeks have a season. later. You have a fucking season. <laughs> in which it's just, like, and it's it's basically death season. Yep. Or you live in fucking Tornado Alley. Like, you're going to move to fucking Tornado Alley. We've designated this area Tornado Alley. Yeah. That's how prevalent these things happen, and you're just going to pull in and move right there. No, mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't I don't see how that all works. And that, that's humans being stupid and living in 
tornado alley. Mm-hmm. But then there's also like incidents that humans don't see that they do, where then something good happens, and you're like, "Hey, that was great." Not realizing that everything after that that you're going to do is just going to be bad. Yes. And it's like kind of recently with the train derailment like we were talking about yesterday. Like that was a a situation where whatever those chemicals came from was like a great human invention. Mm -hmm. We never think about, well, what happens if that's being transported by train and then spills and then gets into the groundwater and kills people and kills yeah, hundreds of Yeah, it doesn't make it to where it's supposed to for its intended purposes. Yeah, it's great when it makes it to its goal. You know, once those chemicals get to wherever they need to go and they're added with other stuff, sure, they can make stuff that's useful. Chances are they might not make stuff that's all that useful, but we find it useful. And over, you know, a course of time, it ends up being bad for us. But I, I think kind of what we're going to be talking about as far as the the salt and sea that's really just a situation where we looked at something that it took what, hundreds of thousands if not millions of years yeah to to develop this area nature developing this area and then we were just like oh okay so we'll just go in and do whatever the fuck we want to it without really any there was a plan for it but i don't think there was a plan it wasn't well thought out, obviously. It, it turned from a happy accident into just like a, ah, uh, fuck, we should have seen this coming. And just throughout the whole stretch of the Salton Sea, the Salton Sea was created by the Colorado River. Mm-hmm. So it's being created by one of the most powerful forces that nature has ever seen. It's being created by the exact same river that created the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Like, How is that? possible to see a river and be like the grand canyon that probably one of the largest spans yeah like one of the largest canyons in the world probably it's uh one at least one of the widest i know it's not the deepest i know hell's canyon is technically deeper no. but but you look at something like that and you're like how long did this fucking take to mm-hmm. get it this wide to get it this deep and then we just look and now it's a tourist trip like everyone's like look at it it's so pretty and everything yeah it's beautiful but like do you realize like the raw power that it took to to do this? And then we're like, well, we're just going to divert it <laughs> and, and we're going to use it for our own benefit. But yeah, so and how far is the actual Salton Sea from the Colorado River? Because it's not like it's a, you know, you you take a, you know, you see a pond next to a river and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, you know, there's a walking path between them or anything like that. It's not like that. There's a, a large distance between it because it doesn't feed it directly. The only time that the Colorado river would actually fill into the Salton sea was when it was overflowing, right? Uh, When it would flood, you would get spring flood waters that just be too much rain. And it's tough. I think you and I had this conversation like at the end of the last episode, I just, I don't understand how rivers work. Like I I don't understand how they're fed by mountains Mm -hmm. and all that comes down. I don't know where the Colorado River starts, but it has to come out of the Rockies, right? It it does start in the Rockies. So you can see the most confusing fucking thing when you're looking at a map, just a flat map, is the way that a map and a globe is set up, you have north to south. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at it, your brain automatically thinks in in its weirdly simplified, stupid way, you see north, you see south, and you think everything flows down. It has to flow toward the bottom because anytime you pour something and there's a slant, it goes down, right? <laughs> so when you see like a river, let's say, for instance, like the Columbia, the Columbia actually goes kind of up a lot, and then like the Snake River feeds into it. Yeah, but that yeah, goes I, but that goes 
south to north in a way, and then branches into the Columbia, and then the Columbia goes east to west. And what you're forgetting is like, you need to, I think when you're looking at something, having a topographical map is the easiest way to look at it. Cause then you can see where the elevation changes because the Colorado river comes down and it almost runs in kind of an east to west diagonal, but it's also running north to south. So it's coming down from Colorado. I think it flows through what, like, uh, Utah, Nevada, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, and California and California. And then it kind of goes, I think it starts in Wyoming though. I don't think it starts in Colorado. I thought I saw the initial, a larger tributary might start in Wyoming, but I'm pretty sure it starts in like kind of the northeastern part of Colorado. But again, you're you're dealing with the Rockies, which are huge. So it just depends on the topography as you have all these smaller rivers flowing into this, flowing down these mountains to the low, every good thing goes to the low ground. So when you're looking at a map, just fucking lay the map on it or lay the fucking globe or whatever on its side and then look at it from like the top down but everything is going to meet you know on low ground and that's what the Salton Sea essentially was is it was this low bowl within this giant valley which is called the Imperial Valley which when the Colorado River I'm not sure the exact distance between the Colorado and the Salton Sea I know the Salton Sea is about 130 miles east of Los Angeles mm-hmm. and it kind of seemed like looking at it it might have been almost equal distance to the Colorado River I, I would say that it I, I just yeah I don't know how long that canal would be and the other thing that you have to remember is the where the Salton Sea is you're right by the way it's northern Colorado is where it starts okay. um, the Salton Sea used to be called the Salton Sink and it's just literally the lowest point in the valley and even after the Colorado River is what initially starts the Salton Sea, it being the lowest point in the Imperial Valley is where all the water runs to. So mm-hmm. all the runoff and everything, and we'll talk about how that kind of factors in later. But the technically the Salton Sink, which is what filled up, is um, 236 feet below sea level. Okay. So inland, so it's literally a bowl mm-hmm. where anything in that valley, that water is going to rush to the shortest or to the smallest part. So whether it is 150 miles away, it's still enough to where when that dam bro- or when the canal broke, mm-hmm. it just fed and fed and fed. And the thing is too is when you're dealing with a river, like look at a river, like it's not, it doesn't look clean. There's a reason that a river looks brown or it can, it's not clear or anything like that. Take a glass and put it in a river and then lift it up and you see all the particulates floating around and everything. The same thing that makes things like that unsafe to drink are also what make rivers essentially the ideal water source essentially for crops and irrigation because that stuff that might make it unsafe to drink can then be used to enhance the soil and all that kind of stuff for for land to actually grow stuff. And so the Imperial Valley... Over the course of millions of years, again, we're trying to take control. This is a man thinking it can fuck with nature type situation. This took over the course of millions of years. You would have the Colorado River, which is fed by all of these other, you know, tributaries and, or not tributaries, but like streams and everything coming into it. You have all of this runoff coming off the mountains, which brings with it all of the minerals that it's coming down with, all the dirt and brings that into the Colorado River, then that would overflow and feed into this basically like large valley, which was essentially a sinkhole. Mm-hmm. And it would deposit all of the these minerals and everything. And at that point, you know, it would sometimes flood the entire valley. 
and but at all times it wouldn't you know the whole valley wouldn't be a lake but it's distributing these because there's no exit for the water the thing about the salton sea and what ends up being kind of the kicker and the linchpin for it becoming an ecological disaster is that there's nowhere for the water to go except through either soaking into the soil or evaporation well when it evaporates all of that mineral it doesn't go anywhere it just stays and over the course of millions of years that actually turned the imperial valley into this basically just insanely like fertile valley for like crops irrigation cattle all that kind of stuff the, the other real benefit is I want to say that it's on the border of the Sonoran Desert. So you can grow crops in the um, Imperial Valley 12 months out of the year because it just never gets cold. Mm-hmm. So it's right there bordering on a desert, and it is a salt flat, I'm sure, because probably California used to be underwater before mm-hmm. the fault lines and everything brought it up. Yeah, there was something about where the Colorado... The Colorado comes down, and then I think it goes along the border a little bit of the United States and Mexico, and then it ends up dumping into what you would consider, I don't know if it's called, is it called the Baja Sea, the Sea of Baja? Baja yeah, Peninsula. The Baja yeah, Peninsula. You have that big inlet. Yeah, you have that big inlet that goes in between the Baja Peninsula and actual mm-hmm. Mexico. That's just basically a big estuary where the Colorado would dump in. Yep. Well, when it was flooding and everything, that would basically back way up, and you would have that whole place would be almost like just filled with water. Baja Peninsula would be 500 miles inland. Inland from where it was. And over kind of the course of time, it basically turned this area in the Imperial Valley into just a a prime area to, to grow crops, which, I mean, I don't know if we've discussed, you know, California before, but people always associate when you think California, Los Angeles, Hollywood, all the big cities, but the size itself... Colorado's the third largest state in the nation, right? Alaska, Cal- or Alaska, Texas, California. Probably, yeah. But so many things, because of also the climate in California, so many things, like you're saying, can grow there. So there is a ton of stuff as far as like produce and agriculture that comes from California. Well, and like specifically the Imperial Valley, since it has a, a basically 12, wow, a 12 month growing season. There's no off seasons for what they do. So they grow a lot of alfalfa for feed mm-hmm. and a lot of, I think it's lettuce, Brussels sprouts, different things like that. The Imperial Valley can produce that year round, whereas you have other places where these things are grown that do have an off season that is, when you hear of something being out of season, the reason why you don't hear about it as much anymore is because of places like the Imperial Valley. Mm-hmm. So eventually at some point, people within California discover the Imperial Valley and kind of discover what's going on there and decide, hey, this is going to be a great place to start, you know, developing agriculture and, and crops and everything like that. And was it in, but it was also kind of hit or miss on, it was all determined by the Colorado River when it would flood and supply water to that area because they would need water to then irrigate those crops. It's essentially, if there's no water coming in there, it dries up and it basically becomes kind of, desert-ish. Well, and that was where the need for the um, canal came from, was they knew that it was a nutrient-rich area, but they didn't have any water to fertilize mm-hmm. with it. Because I want to say that the Imperial Valley 
it hadn't had like a, a rain or it hadn't had snow since like 1900. So like this was right around when all this was happening. Yeah. But they just, they don't ever get any rainfall. There's no other moisture beyond the Colorado river out there. It's it's at the, you know, you think of like death Valley in California and yeah. everything. It's not that far as far yeah. as from like a, what a longitude latitude perspective. It's down pretty close to the, the United States, Mexico border. It's a very like warm area. Like San, San, it's like almost level, kind of like with almost LA and San Diego, kind of in that area. So I mean, yeah, you're not getting a lot of snow or moisture, and so of course, you know, humans being humans, they're like, okay, well, we're just going to go ahead and basically dig a big old fucking trench from the Colorado River to basically help irrigate the entire Imperial Valley. And uh, we've run this game for forever. We've talked about the. Um Incans, and even prior to the Incans learning about canal building and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. This is canal building is a, a tale as old as time when it comes to moving water. But a lot of the other places where we've been or where humankind's been successful in doing it, it's not as crazy as the Colorado River. It's not as wild. It doesn't have as much fill power. You're talking about coming out of the northern Colorado mountains in the Rocky Mountains, one of the largest mountain chains, I think, in the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's feeding it every single year dependent on if it's a heavy snowpack, a light snowpack, heavy rains, light rains. And eventually they built this canal in 1900. By 1905, the spring floods hit and it just completely obliterated a part of the canal. Mm -hmm. Just, and I want to say it was a, well, I mean the canal itself has, of course, it's not just basically, you know, it's not like when you're at the beach and you just go from the water line and then you dig a trench back and everything. Yeah. Of course, there's gates and spillways and stuff like that that they're using to try to control this and allow the water flow to come in. But, you know, 1900, you know, <laughs> uh, canal technology probably isn't the the greatest that it's going to be. People are just going off of what they they're, – they're not worried about long-term effects. They're just like, we need to get water from here over to here. Let's just dig a big trench and then we'll just let it flow. Well, and they, when the the bust happened and it started just dumping out of the side of the canal, the government was like, eh, not really our deal. That's, that's sort of like not, not our biggest issue here. And when you say canal, like I think people maybe like that are thinking like a canal that runs through like, you know, your town or backyard or something like that. This isn't like your five foot, six foot, 10 foot wide canal. Canal's kind of a, a term that it's, it's enormous. Oh yeah. 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 It's it, huge. It, it's in it, it. It basically is a river within its own self. Mm -hmm. It's just a man-made river, which is why it's considered a canal flowing through the desert. Basically. Yes. So it was such a big issue that they couldn't get it closed. And I think it took them two years to completely close off the uh, canal from where it broke mm -hmm. or it breached. And the railroad was actually the one, like the Pacific Railroad, was the one that had to come through and fix it because the government said it's not really our deal. All this flooding is covering all these different train routes mm -hmm. throughout the valley where they're shipping stuff down to Los Angeles and around there. So Yeah, stuff's got to get from all the shit they're growing from the Imperial Valley. There was a ton of also like livestock and everything. Mm -hmm. So everything that they're shipping isn't just being thrown on trucks. I, I think we kind of covered this in the Panama Canal is that, you know, the railroad kind of made its way along what other travel sources would be. Yeah, it was never a direct shot with the railroad. Yeah. And so, of course, you're going to have railroad plate, you know, stations and everything or railroad routes that are going to run near the Imperial Valley. That way you can then 
get stuff to the eastern United States or the mm-hmm. central United States. It, it wasn't just – it's not like these like crops and everything were just going to feed California. This was like something that was shipped all over the nation. So, yeah, it was kind of left up to them because they were the ones that essentially had the money to lose in this scenario. So they were going to be up the ones that, that stepped up to actually get it fixed. Um, two years later after the, the hole was actually like stopped at the Colorado River, you end up with a 15 by 35 mile lake. At the lowest point. Now, this didn't fill up the entire Imperial Valley. If you were to look at, you know, image of the Salton Sea, you're like, uh, you could see it from space. That's how big it was. Yeah. It is still to this day, even after all the evaporation, the largest inland body of water in California. Yes. With Lake Tahoe. Yes. I don't know if maybe they call Tahoe something different because it is split and some of it's on Nevada, but that's a gigantic body of water. And so you're left with this insanely huge lake and well now guess what you got waterfront property in the middle of an oasis basically you Mm -hmm. built a an oasis in the desert and excuse me um (laughs) one of the funny things about how they damned it is they built railroad tracks up to the point of where the breach was Mm -hmm. and then they would take railroad um, or they'd take trains down there and they just have them filled with debris, like old cars, shit that they could just dump into the hole. Mm-hmm. Cause they, there was, it was so great flow, flow, so greatly flowing that they were just dumping shit in there and Trying hoping to make that it would clog down, up. Basically without any of the, <laughs> without any of like the nuance of actually constructing uh-huh. it. It's like, let's just dump a bunch of shit in here. And hope that it plugs up the gap. Kind of like how you see in like zombie apocalypse movies when they're looking to like block off a freeway uh-huh. and they just pile cars yeah. and shit and everything up. Yeah, they're just basically rolling up a train car to it and like dump it. Well, and that's what it was it was I'm sure that they were dumping dirt in there and they're like, hey, this is going to work. And they dump it in there and then they just see it flow with the water. They're exactly. Like, Fuck. Uh-huh. The guy's like, ah, I got an old broken down car. You want to load that up? Mm-hmm. I bet that'll be tougher to push. With. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's try the car mm-hmm. first. Let's lay a good layer of trash and shit mm-hmm. in the bottom. Then we'll work our way up with mm-hmm. dirt. It, that's what it was. It was an oasis. It, it, by all accounts, looking at all the pictures that were taken of it back then, I mean, it just it looked like the ocean. It was that big, and it still is that big. But fifteen by thirty-five miles. Well, and here's the other thing too. So if you're looking at an image of the Salton Sea, and you kind of look off to the sides of it, what you notice is even from images from space, you can see the actual like farms and everything you can see it like squared off so if you're being able to see these from space imagine how big these actual fields are that are growing these crops and so you can see them kind of branched off from the actual salton sea itself and then they still had so much room around this entire lake that basically california was like well you know we have all this room we have this body of water um let's go ahead and turn this thing into and what it could be called the california riviera yeah which you think the French Riviera, every place that's just a beautiful, nice. Even think like Lake Tahoe. Like you go around, you look around, yeah. around like Lake Tahoe or things like that. You're going to build these huge houses around it. Basically like an inland Malibu. And being in California that close to L.A., it was such a, what you said, it was like 150 miles away from L.A. Yeah, it was like 130. So what, two a two and a half hour drive? For Hollywood. Yeah, for the elites. Sinatra was there all the time. Mm-hmm. The Beach Boys came and played there, which I didn't realize the Beach Boys were that old. I thought they were like 70s, but apparently they were even in town doing shit. They were having boat races across 
the Salton Sea. It was just the... It was basically like putting Lake Tahoe 130 miles away from Los Angeles mm-hmm. and every rich person that lives there. But not have it be subject to cold. Yeah. It, it was warm, almost a vacation a destination. It could be year-round where the weather was nice. You could be swimming, out fishing. Um, and again, here's the kicker. There's nowhere for this water to go. And that might sound fine if you were just like, okay, well, it's just river water coming in there. All right, well, imagine also this. You have farms livestock everywhere around this area and everything feeds into this low point when you put water or sorry not water but when you're putting like fertilizer and 1950s pests or you know the night early you know 1900s pesticides and stuff like that on crops that DDT, stuff just doesn't fucking stay where you put it yeah ddt what was the the book that they made it was called like silent spring or something about ddt mm-hmm. completely decimating the avian populations yeah that was flowing off of these so big So all of the farms. wastewater from livestock farms, uh-huh. from all of these crops, was going to the lowest point, which was the Salton Sea. Now, the other thing, too, is when you're carrying all of these minerals and it's flowing in, of course, nowhere for these things to go. Water does evaporate and everything. You're leaving all of these same minerals that were useful for crops and everything like that, but you're also basically just leaving all of this shit in this body of water. So it's turning over time. Nature has its own way of essentially like if there wasn't going to be like, look at the salt flats in like Utah, like the uh-huh. Bonneville salt flats and everything. Nature essentially has a way of kind of balancing itself out. If man doesn't fucking dip his fucking fingers in and try to finger fuck it. Nature will heal natural issues. Nature won't always heal human issues. Mm-hmm. But when you're adding in all of these chemicals and these, you know, toxic, type materials and everything, you're going to start to see some, some negative effects. Well, kind of part of the reason why it, they weren't seeing an initial like algae blooms and stuff like Mm -hmm. that was because all these heavy metals that are coming from all these farms that are being used as fertilizer and DDT and all that, all that, once it gets to a big body of water and it settles as it sinks. Mm -hmm. So I think it was 42 feet deep, 43 feet deep. If these That's are, not deep. No, it's not deep. So eventually it's going to continue to pile up. But for the first decade or so of that happening, mm-hmm. it's just laying on the bottom. It's soaking into the bottom of the bed. So it's soaking down in. But as the lake starts to shrink, you're going to get higher levels of salinity mm-hmm. because it is it's not as diluted. Yeah, it's a, it's a salt. It's a body of salt water. But then you're getting closer and closer to these chemicals. Well, and there was this weird, like, <coughs> sweet spot when they started turning this place into, again, like, the vacation destination where it almost looked like what they were doing was actually having a benefit to it. You had all of these, um, like, fish that were thriving within the Salton Sea. They, Yeah, they tried to turn it into a sport fishing area because, obviously, there weren't any fish. I mean, there was probably something that came from the Colorado River. Yeah. But all those freshwater fish are going to die as soon as that water turns to saline. Mm-hmm. So and they, I want to say tilapia was the big one, but they put in all these different types of fish. Like saltwater fish, like ocean-going uh-huh. fish, because they could survive within the, the salinity of the water. So They had to figure the, out the brackish level, though, too, because all the water that was feeding off of the crops wasn't saltwater. Mm-hmm. So it was still, the only solution that it was getting was freshwater in. Yeah. And so you would also have situations where, you know, it became a huge like fishing destination because you would have these sport fishermen coming out able to catch like 
fish that you'd normally have to go out to the ocean mm-hmm. to catch. So it was like this place had everything. And then it would attract all of these different species of birds and wildlife. So it almost became like you were saying, like almost an oasis where like you could catch all these like crazy types of fish that normally you'd have to go to the ocean. You would see all these types of birds. It was basically just like almost looked like nature was blooming there. And yeah. it was only for a certain very short period of time. <laughs> but I could see why initially they were like, well, if it's if it's progressing like this and, you know, we're getting all these benefits, let's just build some shit around it. Why not? Yeah, yeah. why not? And they kind of the big deal with the birds coming in. I just had to look it up because I forgot the exact number. But even to this day, with all of the issues that it has, it still has um, visitors of birds of over 400 species of birds. Mm -hmm. It's basically, there were estuaries around Los Angeles and in that area where birds would hit as kind of like their last migrating spot before they got Mm -hmm. down into the Pacific Ocean, the Baja, and everywhere like that. So since those places were being eaten up as Los Angeles was growing, the birds needed one more stop. And that's what the Salton Sea became. So even to this day, with as just disgusting and terrible as the Salton Sea is and as salty as it is, it's still the last stop before the Baja Peninsula for over 400 species of birds. Mm-hmm. That's just nuts. So things are going good. And all of a sudden they start to see some of – and it was kind of slow, but you started to see kind of the freshwater fish die off. And then, but it was the salt, you know, salt tolerant fish that were surviving and everything like that. So, you know, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. A few dead fishes up on on shore, not a big deal. No, but at the same time, people don't understand also what that contributes to, like rotting fish and everything. It's not like someone was going along the beach the entire time, along the entire, you know, shore of the river and cleaning up all these fucking dead fish. Like fish would die, wash up on shore, rot. You'd start to get fucking smell. Um, you had fish that were essentially didn't have an immunity, but had levels because of all of the, the essential chemical runoff. You would then start to have fish that were getting poisoned by that, but could still survive. But then if they died, what's going to be easier for a bird to eat the fish on the bank or to mm. go? F- so they would be eating these fish that were essentially toxic. The birds would start dying off as well. And kind of in the 1980s, you start to see the levels of contamination get to a point where you can't really ignore it anymore. And what was the, there was one day where there was a die off of fish that was in, I I want to say it was in the millions. I think it was in 86. Yeah. It was just a, a massive, they don't know if it had just finally reached a salinity where it completely killed off these fish, but they were just being pushed ashore by the hundreds absolutely just yeah it was just marching orders of dead fish that Mm -hmm. were coming in and not only are they coming in dead but they're also coming in like you were talking about rotting so the smells of just hundreds of these fishes coming to shore you think it's bad when someone heats up fish in the microwave if you work in an office like imagine like you're just you walk out you're not even walking out your door the smell that you would start, you know, miles out from driving to this place and you would just roll down the window and all of a sudden get hit in the face, which is a rotting fucking fish smell. Well, and there's still, it just blows me away. There's still communities that are living there today. I mean, they're nowhere in, in scope of size. No. Of no, what was there, but 
Salton City, I think there's a place called Slab City that's around there, and they've kind of turned into these weird outlaw places. Yeah, so it was Salton City, and then was it Bombay Beach? Bombay was Beach supposed was to be the fancy, the fancy like vacation. Uh-huh. Like, I, I'm talking like resorts yeah, and destinations. They had marinas. a ton of golf courses mm-hmm. and everything. So this was definitely a place that, like you're saying, kind of the the cream of the crop would go and and have their places. <laughs> well, if they were trying to water with the water from the Salton Sea, I guess they couldn't because it was salt water. But it had all the fertilizer and everything in it already, so it was probably just making that grass pop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't mind the smell as you're teeing off on on number six, but... And that was kind of the other thing, was as you start to move into the 90s, the water efficiency of all these farms around the area started to get so good, they started to introduce drip systems instead of flood irrigation. So the water levels that are coming off as runoff are just turning to nothing. And every single year, it's still 86 degrees year-round. So yeah, the farming is... is still booming and thriving. Yeah. So it's not like there's ever slowing down of. And, of course, over time, you know, there's more regulations against toxic chemicals that can be used as fertilizers and everything. Damage but is already done, though. It, yeah, the damage is already done. It's it's down into, like, you know, the water table and everything. And so the farming essentially never stops at this point because you're not going to use up essentially all of the minerals and topsoil and everything within the course of, like, 100 years. No. This has been dumping in all this mineral-rich soil and all this kind of stuff in these farmlands up for millions of years up to this point. So it's still a very fertile farmland. But again, if that's not stopping, you're still dumping all of that shit from livestock and from those farms into what is essentially a shrinking body of water. So as the water gets smaller, it's just becoming more and more and more toxic. And as that's becoming more and more toxic, it's also showing more and more toxic drying out um, shoreline. Yes. So you start to see, I think it was in 1999 was when kind of they reached the tipping point, I think, of there just definitely wasn't enough water flowing in to where it was just going to start to shrink at a very It wouldn't stop. Rate. There wasn't enough to mitigate, essentially, mm-hmm. the, the lake going down. If Kind of think of it this way, like, you know, uh, a puddle of water after rain. Eventually, you're going to see that puddle shrink and shrink, and then you're just going to have the dry ground. That's going to dry out, turn to dust, and then that <laughs> dust is just going to travel in the air. Look no further than what Lake Mead yep. – was it Lake Mead, like this last year, the last couple of years, where the water level went down, and you're seeing – Imagine like Lake Mead is not someplace that's getting a lot of like agricultural runoff. It still does to a degree. Well, Lake Mead is also fed by the Colorado River. Exactly. It's just up higher. Yep. And so, but you see what's there once the water shrinks down, all of the junk and crap that's sunk over time. Now imagine it's not just that, but now it's dead rotting animals. And as that water level retracts and all of that ground that used to be wet now starts to dry out you're also in an area that is hot enough to where there's no moisture. And as soon as you get dust storms and wind storms, all of that toxicity starts getting kicked up and put into the air. And that's what people are breathing in. And not only that is that you want to talk about like, well, you know, it's, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere and all this. Okay. Not only do you still have all the farm people that are running these farms, that are now basically living in a toxic environment with all this toxic dust. Mm-hmm. Dust travels through the air pretty fucking easy. Yeah. So depending on what weather the wind is blowing, now you're starting to get toxic dust traveling into cities like Los Angeles. They said even parts of Phoenix. So all the way down into Arizona, they get these big dust clouds. And 
that was really when they started to come to grips with what they had done. All these cities that are close to it that are suffering these toxic deaths aren't rich cities. They're not cities that can go, you know, in front of the L.A. City Council and be like, hey, this shit is killing our people. They have, right now, I want to say it's around that area and kind of in the valley. Over 20% of kids in that region are diagnosed with asthma, and that's less than 10% nationally. So over twice the national average are being Mm -hmm. diagnosed with asthma. And until these clouds started hitting these big cities that had these big coffers and these big tax revenue mm-hmm. places, nothing was getting done about it because it's, there was no reason. They're just farmers. Let the farmers yeah. deal with it. And it's not like these people, like, like, well, why don't you just move or anything? You can't win like you're a generational farmer and your entire livelihood is completely predicated on maintaining these places. Also, you're also getting paid quite a bit in these areas. Where are you going to go? You can't just go start up a farm somewhere. It's not like you can just move 50, you know, 500 miles away and be like, well, this ground looks good. Because if that ground looks good, somebody else is already farming on it. Like this place is still producing a ton of money for this area. And so you basically have people that are like, okay, well, you're going to live here and you're going to make money. But the caveat is that your kids are probably going to get asthma and you're probably going to start developing some other health issues, just working around this shit all the time. It's a, it's, you look at images now and it's a fucking ghost town. It's like it's exactly what you would almost see in like some type of like zombie apocalypse movie where it's just abandoned places, abandoned resorts that at one point not that long ago back in, you know, well, at this point, 60, 70 years ago were these just thriving areas. Yeah, dude, they were they really were. I mean, it was to call something the California Riviera, there's so so much cachet about it. And like you say, you're talking golf courses, major marinas that are having all these boats. These celebrities are coming and building vacation homes there because it's the quickest place out of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And all that is gone. All that is, I, I would be curious to see how much of like the, the ruins and shit of that are left. Because there were probably some pretty sick houses that once oh, yeah. people moved out and abandoned it, that people that were living in like downtown Salton City or whatever, like, hey, let's go. Um, oh, what the fuck is the movie with Woody Harrelson and um, Jesse oh. Eisenberg? Oh, uh, Zombieland. Zombieland, yeah. Yeah. Like, they move out to the burbs and go stay in these rich people's houses that they just abandoned. Like, what was the it, one with Will Forte, Last Man on Earth? Yeah, yes. Where he exactly. just drives up in the Hollywood Hills and he just picks out a neighborhood that's just got all of these mansions in it. At the same time, you're not also moving out to a mansion where you're going to fucking... And that's the thing is, like, I'm guessing asthma wasn't the worst of it. Because if you're no. dealing with things like DDT... There's also going to be an increase in things probably that are like cancerous. Every facet of your life is just predicated around trying to stay out, trying to stay indoors while these big dust storms are happening because it just makes everybody so sick. And like you say, this isn't, these people aren't driving into Los Angeles and they don't have desk jobs. They're out there working in the fields all the time. This is a very large resource that we get our food from. And these people that are all doing that are getting sick. They're dying at a younger age because of what's going on. And even the attempts that California made, which now luckily I think they've kind of taken a little bit 
harder stance on mm-hmm. it because they've kind of had to. Well, Los Angeles isn't going anywhere. It's not no. like you can take it, that. It's so, only getting bigger. Yes. And, and, and everything is stretching out probably closer to the Salton Sea. There's places that are, you know, becoming suburbs of Los Angeles. You can't go toward the ocean. There's no, no place to uh-uh. fucking build. So you have to go east. So you're only getting closer to this shit. And as it gets closer, they did the, I believe it was the, in 2003, it was the Salton Sea Restoration Act. It was signed by the governor, and the idea was to build like a horseshoe-shaped lake around where it was, or where the Salton Sea is, to try to cut down on like the wind storms and the dust storms mm-hmm. that are blowing around, because there is more moisture in the air, yeah. and kind of try to protect it. But it was so expensive, and this was leading right into when we had the recession. Yeah. So eventually, when it came time to start funding it, everybody in government was like, eh, we're not doing this. We don't have the money to do this. Yeah. We have to fight this recession right now. This isn't a sexy project that's no. going to get us votes or anything like that. This is 130 miles from us. People want to see what we're going to do to to help them out here, right where they live and everything. Fuck the smell. <laughs> That, that you have to deal with in Los Angeles and everything. We'll just deal with that. We can cut out 10,000 voters. Mm-hmm. We're not too worried about them. So we had to wait until 2017. And 2017 is when they started doing habitat restoration and dust suppression. They built up 29,000 acres of wetlands to help to start to replace the areas where the Salton Sea was going away and the birds not being able to land in the Salton Sea because the fish they're eating are killing them like you were talking about. So they're living in these estuaries that are kind of starting to help that area succeed as far as the avian population. But it took until November of last year, the feds threw in another $250 million to kind of start to help do it. And part of it, I do believe, is to try to help the people. But there is kind of a an interesting twist to how the Salton Sea works. Mm-hmm. And not only all the land as far as the minerals and everything that were swept down in there, but there's also one very important thing that uh, we can talk about here in a second after a bathroom break that this area could hold and it could be a really big key to our future. Very right back. Yeah. All right, while we take a break from class and uh, take care of some business, you can also take care of some business. If you don't follow us on Instagram or Twitter already, our Instagram handle is historically high pod, that's historically high pod, and our Twitter is historically high, that's historically hi. All right, and back to our show. All right, so to kind of, before we get into what essentially the potential bright side of this whole thing could be, Um, A couple of the other ideas that they've had about trying to fix the Salton Sea is I believe one of them involved reestablishing essentially a what you would consider a freshwater feed from the Colorado River using what technology we have available now to make sure it's more controllable, more reliable. And then in order to prevent what happened previously where you're just dumping all of this shit into the valley without anywhere for it to go but up is doing a canal from the Salton Sea down to that the Baja Gulf mm-hmm. into that area, that would require them to create a canal longer in distance than the Panama Canal. Which, like we talked about, surprisingly short, but still like 54 miles. 
Well, I don't know if they meant distance and what they had to work with the Panama Canal, because again, the actual canal that they had to work through, they just ended up creating lakes, which took up the majority of the canal route, and it didn't require them to do any type of like dredging. I don't know if they meant longer than the Panama Canal for the entire distance, regardless of the having to dredge or anything like that, but having to create essentially a, a waterway for stuff to actually flow out to the sea. Which at the same time, are you like, okay, so should, instead of just landlocking all of this like hazardous shit, should we just yeah. dump it in the ocean? No, thanks. We no. already have a, we have a literal trash island floating in the ocean right now. We don't need to continue to. Yeah. But I mean, and that, of course, the, the amount of money that that would cost, that's not something that someone's going to, you know, put up or that if anybody, you know, for the government putting up money and everything like that. If someone's like, well, you know, we have this thing in California. And as soon as people hear this, like we're not sending money to fucking California and all this shit. Like it's just something that as long as it's, you know, money is coming out of there. It's kind of one of those situations that, well, the money we're making out of that area doesn't outweigh the, the ecological disaster it is. And is, is the salt sea considered the biggest ecological disaster in California's history? Ecological, I think it would have to be. Maybe the fires are now number one. Yeah, but that, I mean, yeah, you can consider the fires potentially man-made due to not Power having lines. availability of water and maybe that kind of stuff to fight the fires, the drought. But I think as far as just like, because it wasn't an ecological disaster when nature was just taking its course doing that kind of shit. No, because it always found a way. It would always, mm-hmm. there would always be a solution to what's going on. And the sad part about what's happening is right now talking about the Salton Sea, it's a very important ecological issue, but we're on the precipice of something that we've never really seen before. And it's going to kind of be a responsibility game because just while the Salton Sea was shrinking and there were issues, mm-hmm. they were still selling extra water rights from that they were diverting off of the Colorado. They were selling those water rights down to San Diego because the demand for water in San Diego Mm -hmm. was also growing. And the Colorado River just coming off of like where it gets pulled up in Lake Mead and everywhere like that, the Colorado River feeds part of what's going on in Arizona and Phoenix as well. Oh, yeah. If there's places like, you know, there's Lake Mead, which has a dam, and then there is... um. Like, okay, so above Lake Mead is like Powell. That's the one with all the red rocks and everything like that, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have Lake Mead, which Powell, is held back by the Hoover Dam. Powell is, I think it's on the border of Utah and Nevada. Yeah. And so it's not like there's no water being used at any point. Like uh-huh. any place along the Colorado River that's within reach of the Colorado River is also diverting water off of there. So you also wonder why, you know, last couple of years you've seen these images where Lake Mead has historically low levels of water. It's because that water is then being used further up and there's droughts, you know, in other places without snowmelt and everything. So we're building cities that are getting massive in the middle of the desert. We're building Las Vegas. Because Las Vegas we have is, the ability yeah. to, to function water. Wasn't that what we talked about during Babylon too, is mm-hmm. that like the creation of like the canals and aqueduct system essentially allowed you to dictate where you wanted to build your city. It wasn't uh-huh. dictated for you by being near a water source. You were able to bring the water source to you. And the whole thing with the Salton Sea, and I understand that this isn't the sexiest topic or anything like that, but all of this has come in a very short amount of time when you compare it to just human existence or human development or anything like that, is that 
we basically just saw this within the you know early 1900s or maybe a little bit before as far as like a farming area and a hundred years later it's turned into just a complete shitstorm it's right on the outside of one of the most important uh basically growing operations that we have inside the entire country mm-hmm so it's such a juxtaposition of like the cradle of life and then just this rotting, deadly sea, lake, mm-hmm. that's causing all this harm. So and how do we turn chicken shit into chicken salad in this, Adam? I, yeah, I, I was pretty surprised. It took a, a couple of um, extra Googles to really look this up because you always hope that there's going to be something good coming down the pike. And interestingly enough, uh, one of the things that, California does really well is not only are they on the forefront, I think of like wind and solar Mm -hmm. energy being on the San Andreas fault. They also have the ability to harness geothermic Mm -hmm. energy, which is a very renewable resource because being right there under the earth's crust, you're going to be getting a lot of heat, which you can turn into energy Mm -hmm. from the actual earth. So one of the things that, kind of gets uh, that we were talking about in the beginning where you have this salt and sink and you have the Imperial Valley. The reason that it's so fertile is because of all the vitamins and nutrients and things that were brought down by the Colorado river. Now when the Colorado river is shaping basically the topography in the geographic regions that we see with the grand Canyon and coming down out of the mountains, it's eating away at limestone and sandstone and everything as the river meanders through it. All those nutrients that are coming out of the rocks and everything that are being taken away and destroyed by the river have to be deposited somewhere. So when you get these overflows, all these vitamins and minerals would then be dumped into the water, or coming through the water would then, through evaporation, be pushed down into the soil. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest deposits that they found so far is lithium. And lithium is, uh, the demand for lithium is going to be going through the roof because that's what all the batteries that are being put in EVs are, be, are made of. They're Just because they're a batteries. higher quality, they can hold a charge longer. That's why essentially lithium is something that's now kind of considered you know, even like you have the, you know, double A lithium batteries and everything that are supposed to last, what, like 30% longer, yeah. like 50% longer. The biggest problem that they've come up with, if you've ever heard a discussion about transitioning over from fossil fuels to electric, is that it's, it requires lithium to do this. And lithium is essentially a, it's a finite mineral. You, you can't, cre- it's created by nature. You can't synthetically create no, yeah. lithium or anything. This isn't, a process by which you can't take oil and make gasoline. It's not like that. Lithium. No, it's not like, yeah, you can't make plastic essentially out of petroleum and stuff, stuff like that. Lithium has to be a naturally occurring, uh, occurring mineral. And it's like we say it, that's the big, big hullabaloo that we're running into is you can store fossil fuels. We, mm-hmm. we can mine them and we can store them. But if we're creating renewable energy, it has to be placed somewhere. So it has to be held within a lithium battery. Therefore, we still have that power that we just generated, Mm -hmm. saved up to be able to use. And through all these millions of years, it's just the the whole valley, but primarily where all the waters would settle during these floods that would happen or where these greatest lithium deposits are. And the U.S. Department of Energy estimated there could be up to 600,000 tons of lithium mined out of there per year 
which is a tremendous amount to be able to make batteries. It's enough to where we could store enough energy in our country to be completely energy independent and still have some left over to sell. So there's, what, 2,000 pounds in a ton, right? Yeah. So per year. 1.2 million tons or 1.2 million pounds. Yeah. It's just an insane amount. It's the largest brine source of lithium in the world. So there's multiple different kinds of ways that you can find lithium. And mostly it's like mountains or places like that to where it's all dry. Mm -hmm. But since the Salton Sea has been where it is, it still has groundwater. It's still a, a natural water resource. So it's salt water. So that's why they call it a brine source mm-hmm. because it's still in a wet area and it's not like the side of a mountain or somewhere that's yeah. dried up. And uh, to be the biggest source of lithium brine in the world, I mean, that's a, a major find. And it's all just through nature. So since the lithium deposits were carried there for forever, and the waters in the Imperial Valley would flood, evaporate, flood, evaporate, flood, evaporate. Just sort of some of the math that I heard from some people, there's somewhere between 2 million and 6 million metric tons of lithium that's deposited. Which, I mean, that's that's so much lithium that can be used. And kind of two of the ways... when. You always hear from the other side that's pro-fossil fuel, like, lithium mining is dirty. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, it is the way that they do it in other places. Yeah. Unfortunately, we run into a situation where the richest countries with the highest demand then end up destroying the poorest countries where all these resources are. Yeah. and places Because like, it's not your home. You don't give a fuck about the, the way that you're getting it out. You yeah. don't have to deal with the, the fallout or anything like that. You just, you pull the shit out of the ground and then you, you know, as soon as it runs out, you're just like, okay, we're done here. You guys figure out what you want to do. Well, and we kind of intentionally, I think a lot of these places where you find these minerals or where you find oil are in places that are more remote where people with less resources as far as financial resources and sort of technology have caught up to. So you're going to end up raping and pillaging a poorer land for the benefit of the richer lands. Um, two of the ways that they do lithium extraction, one's called open pit. And it's basically like when you see the gigantic mines that it looks like a... Um, it looks like a crater, but it's a step terrace system. Yeah. When they're, when they're, I'm looking at the images of it right now. So yeah, when you look at any type of like open mine it basically looks like a giant pit in a hole in the ground but it's got like a step system that goes down where they've you know dug at this level then they go down lower then they go down lower and everything and of course like you look at anything like that you're like well that's not natural that's that's that can't be good no and it looks terrible and when they do it it's like you say it's a large open mine they mine out these big rocks they soak them in sulfuric acid the sulfuric acid breaks away the mineral composition of the rock that's how they get down to the raw lithium that then they can extract from that. That sulfuric acid has to go somewhere. Inevitably, it's going to leach into a water source. It's going to be a situation where somebody, some tribe, some small city's mm-hmm. water source is going to be completely tainted by the sulfuric yeah. acid that they use. So that's not a great option. The second one is evaporation. Um, and basically with that is they will show up to dry riverbeds, dry lake beds where they have these large... Um, areas where the alkaline is, they'll pump water down into the ground. The ground will then leach that water up. 
upcoming with the water is going to be the minerals mm-hmm. that were in there. And then as that water gets there, it starts to evaporate. The evaporation takes place. Everything that's left on the top is where the alkali or where that lithium is that then you can pull out of the ground mm-hmm. and excavate and harvest. But you still get the same thing where you're changing the ecosystem of the area by having to dig these large holes in the ground and then pump the groundwater up mm-hmm. that it just disrupts everything in the area. And where else is that groundwater going? Yeah. Like where, where, what else is that aquifer connected to to some degree or another? Yeah, you're you're wasting water in order to you're wasting a precious resource in most of these areas mm-hmm. to bring And that water it's a, not like, you know, I don't know what exactly the the procedure would that be, but I'm guessing that to then make that water usable for something else is probably a, a process in itself. So it's not just a mm-hmm. one, you know, it's not just hey, we're gonna go ahead and pump a bunch of water mm-hmm. down in this, it's gonna bring up all of the, you know, minerals required for lithium and then we're mm-hmm. all good. Like that water essentially when you it's kind of like the same thing when you remove certain things from water. Sometimes those chemicals or those minerals that are in that water is what makes them valuable. If you remove those and it's got other chemicals in it, that can then turn that poisonous. So well, there's always going to be some type of trade off for it. Uh, in the end, all that water is gone because they have to let it all evaporate mm-hmm. in order to harvest the lithium from it. So that water is just, it's a sunk cost. It's okay. just gone at that point. Which eventually you got to hope it rains and comes back down and yeah. does all that, but you can't wait on that process. So one of the <laughs> the biggest thing about getting lithium is going to be the extraction. The way that California can do it, luckily, because like I was talking about with the geothermal renewable energy, mm-hmm. is they have these plants already for geothermal where they can dig down underground, they can hit these geothermal ducts basically, mm-hmm. bring that water up use the boiling points and the steam, basically the power and the energy mm-hmm. they can harness that. Well, then they can send the water back down into the ground where it can hit the geothermal duct again, heat back up. And we just have basically a renewable resource to yeah. send that water up and down. Um, while they're doing it, they can actually put a screen or a filter within the system to be able to catch the lithium. That's then being brought up mm-hmm. out of the brine from the ground. Because it's still going to be salt water, yeah. so you can't use it for anything else mm-hmm. unless you desalinize it and do all that. That's another process. But you're using that brine. You're catching the lithium every single time it brings it back up. So in essence, you're harvesting all the lithium out of the area without changing the composition of the the area. So it's kind of like, in in a weird, simplified way, it's kind of like a a hot tub, essentially, it's this utilizing the same amount of water, pumping it through a system. The filters will catch in this situation something useful instead uh-huh. of like all of the undesirable stuff that you yeah. want. And then you can extract that stuff from the filters, but it's cutting down. And I mean, I'm sure you're losing, you know, a percentage of it to just natural occurrences of reactions and everything like that. But that water's not evaporating and then going somewhere else. You're able no. to capture at least a larger portion of it to continue using that. And I'm sure that that process, considering that it's not used in a lot of different places, that's probably a little bit more expensive and everything. But Way fuck, more. But fuck, if you have a reliable source to start mining lithium in that scenario, you definitely can't you know, mine lithium in the traditional way because you're too close to civilian populations and big, like large population centers. So... Yeah, you're going to spend, and that's the that's the kicker. It's going to cost you a little bit more. It's like buying an electric car. Mm-hmm. You look at it and you look at the price tag, and you're like, "Fuck!" Like I don't I don't want to spend that much. But at the same time, you need to think, "No, no, no." It's a long game. Like 
solar how panels much, on your house. They're exactly. Extremely expensive to put up, but you don't pay. It's not instant gratification, but for energy. the whole cause of the, the Salton Sea disaster, and hopefully it does have kind of a silver lining in the end, but the whole cause was not wanting to play the long game. They were just like, no, let's not worry about what's going to happen to this area because look, look at any type of still water source that doesn't have a drain. Like if you take a puddle that can't get anywhere, that's when you get like, that's where your fucking mosquitoes, that's where you get just a, a dirty source of water. It just becomes like a cesspool. That's what it basically is. A cesspool is something that doesn't have a way to drain out of it to get any type of circulation or current. And people didn't have when, you know, building up the Salton Sea, they didn't have that foresight to see. Hopefully this is something to where they learn from that and say, okay, let's go ahead and maybe spend a little bit more initially because we're going to make that back in the long run. And it's going to cause less of a, you know, disaster where we're having to clean up messes all around this area when people start getting, you know, fucking toxic poisoning or asthma and all that shit. Well, and you really, you kind of see where... Not to break it down into like humans being good in this scenario, but you see where the money goes. You have companies like Berkshire Hathaway, one of the largest holding companies, um, Warren Buffett's company. Uh-huh. You have them investing hundreds of millions of dollars into these resources and into building these geothermal plants and into mining this lithium because they then see the foresight to see where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. So you see that there's an inevitable cash cow there. But we have to be able to learn from kind of what happened in the Salton Sea where the cash cow showed up and everybody cashed in on it and then they were fucked afterwards. Mm -hmm. You have to make sure that you're doing it in an ethical way that this can continue to happen. That's that's the key, though, is if you have somebody that is – you get situations where you have people that are wealthy, privately wealthy – that can do these things or invest into these types of resources. I'm not saying Bill Gates is an angel or anything like that. Cause he's got his own, you know, Weird. fucking closet full of skeletons and bag Weird. of shit. But you have people that at the same time are trying to do something useful, knowing that what they're doing, they're not going to immediately reap the benefit of it. It's going to yeah. be outside of their lifetime in which it's really going to come to fruition. And the problem with, situations where it does the technology does cost more to try to get this done or it's more of a long game is the people that have the resources and the money how old are those people already if you tell somebody hey you know we're gonna have you invest this kind of money but you're not gonna see a payoff for 50 years and that person's like well i'm gonna be fucking dead how am i gonna enjoy this that right there is enough to make most people just turn tail and run away from it so it's just about finding the right people that have the right motives and essentially know that they're not going to be the people that are reaping the benefits of it to still say, no, fuck it. I'll, I'll do it for, you know, generations to come. And I think that's kind of the tricky part. Well, and the state of California, I think has a, a good reason to want to keep investing their governmental funds into it and to investing tax dollars into it is I think they made a pledge And I know they made a pledge. I'm not sure if it was by 2035 or 2045 Mm -hmm. that they were going to phase out. They were going to be basically dependent on only renewable resources. Yeah. So if you can see this geothermic ability to be able to produce renewable energy and at the same time you have the raw materials of the lithium to Mm -hmm. then make batteries – you're going to be investing more for them to be able to put plants out there right next, like battery plants, yeah. not even just the geothermic plants. 
to where they can build the lithium batteries on site in that exact same area because it is just a vast expanse where it is where they can't grow because it's it's too salty Mm -hmm. so it's a situation where it's like they can kind of create their own ecosystem of batteries to then create their own energy independence and that's only going to help people. Like that's yeah. only going to benefit the people of California to be renewable energy independent. Because mm-hmm. once there is the big pond to draw from, everything's going to get cheaper. Yeah, exactly. And you got to imagine, like, what's California as far as the? Um, what do they rank on the? Um, the fifth largest economy in the world. Yes. Like, imagine if this could go through and they could do this the right way. What that's going to do as far as even making them more successful. Well, it's like what you said. They they already had the Silicon Valley, and now we're going to be adding the Lithium Valley, too. Mm-hmm. This is why we don't... When everybody goes, oh, we need to sell California off to somebody else. You don't have to. California is the m- most major driver in this country mm-hmm. as far as tax dollars and everything else. We need to keep them. We need to hold them and love them and call them. I know they get weird. They get weird even for me, and I'm a fairly weird dude, but you got to stick through. Yes. Because they're going to be the ones that are going to carry us. I was going to say, people kind of look at weird and the term like progressive and everything like that doesn't even mean what it what it actually means. It's one of those fucking buzzwords that people use in a negative connotation. But the root of that word is progress. And yeah, you do have to be progressive to try to take some risks and try to do some things that are outside the norm. How many, you know, inventions and things that we use were somebody trying to go outside the norm and do something crazy and yeah, they failed 10 times, but then that 11th time or even that 111th time, they created something. Look at the fucking light bulb, man. Yep. You think people were ever like, oh, that's fucking crazy. You're going to put, what are you going to put electricity through this and it's going to make light and everything? Like, that's fucking stupid. You're, you're off your fucking nut. And all of a sudden now, can you imagine life without having light? Not a big candle had to have been pushing on it, just like fossil mm-hmm. fuels. Would be like, eh, this seems like a fool's fool's errand. Yeah. We're not gonna support this. Keep buying candles. Candles are the way to go. We can keep producing them. It, there might be a finite amount of wax that we can get in mm-hmm. this area, but we'll try to figure it out. Yeah, I, it just yeah, it, it's another step towards the future, and hopefully, the people in that area, as far as as depressed as they are in the shit that they have to deal with, if they can get the ecological issues cleaned up and they can stop the toxic dust storms from happening, it's also going to be a boon for them because then they can work in these factories. They can work in these plants. They Mm -hmm. have jobs to where the area just grows economically, not only with the renewable resource and the battery plants, but you're also providing jobs. Yeah, and the enrichment of that area could enrich every area around it. Yeah. A, a rising, what is it, a rising tide Lifts raises all ships. all ships. Yeah. It's just a, a perfect scenario that could end just a, a terrible ecological disaster. All right, so that's going to wrap up our uh, our talk on the Salton Sea. We're going to go ahead and take it a little bit international and kind of We're keep on the theme, though, of dark. Yes, of man, again, fucking up with nature (laughs) and thinking that we have some type of control over it. Um, 1975, the Ben, is it Bankao? B-A-N-Q-I-A-O. So it's Chinese. I'm not sure what the pronunciation of it, but it's a dam in China. Too many vowels in one word. And it is, I'm not sure how China breaks up its land. I know it's provinces. And yep. everything, I believe that. So it's in the Zoom, Zumadian, Zumadian in Henan. Henan, China. So I guess that would be, if we're going to compare it to the United States, it would be county, state, country. 
maybe. I guess that close enough. Yeah, city state country probably. Yeah, city state country something like that. So the the big focus is on this uh dam collapse and this dam failure. And this it's kind of a blanket term because not only does that term cover that dam failure, but there were 61 other dams during this occurrence in 75 that failed along this area. I'm not sure if it was the same river because once we start it kind was. of get, same river. Yep. And then yep. all the tributaries and everything that they had dammed 61 off. dams, man. <laughs> like you're just building, building shit just to fucking build it at that point. And these dams were actually built at a time when it was probably within, I think it was in the, it was in the sixties and seventies, but it was during like some type of social uprising or something like that in China. Right. So China is a very interesting, they do stuff kind of in phases and I'm not really sure why they do it, but they call them the age of. So it's basically the new term for dynasty or some shit like that. Yeah, I, I would say that it's kind of like that, but they'll have things like the um, the Bankio Reservoir. So the reservoir that was created during this time was a part of the seventh five-year plan of China. And the project um, was basically they were trying to control because they believed that having large areas and deposits of water was like a, a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to have as many dams and reservoirs as possible in order to have more water, which I'm sure, you know, for villages and things like that, it's basically like a publicity stunt calling these things the age of mm-hmm. or the plan of in order to kind of let the people see what the communist rulers are doing in their time. Yeah. And that may be it too, is when you call something the age of, you can look back and say that was under such and such ruler. That was a great thing. Yeah, that That makes sense. So basically what happened is there was a time when like China went through this entire boom of building all of these dams. I don't know, like you're saying, if it was supposed to be a flex or they were just going through a time when they were like, hey, let's just go ahead and build all these and we'll modernize our country. We'll go ahead and develop all of this agriculture and all this kind of shit. But it was during a time when they were kind of buddy-buddy, I guess, with, you know, like you were talking about communism with the Soviet Union and everything like that. And so a lot of these dams had a ton of like Soviet designers come in to actually do this which is a wild move because if you look at anything from the soviet era mm-hmm. it just it, immediately once it's done it looks like it already started crumbling like the soviets when i think of um like yugoslavia and places around there it's where you get like the yugo the old mm-hmm. shitty car where like half the parts worked yep. and if all the windows rolled down you got like the best one off mm-hmm. of the assembly line just if i'm looking towards building something that's gonna try to hold back hundreds of thousands of millions of metric tons of water, I'm probably not going to go to the Soviets for him. No. <laughs> and so this dam itself, they said when they're building it, it was meant to survive a one in a thousand year flood. Yep. So that's like their scale system for like safety on these fucking things. And it'll happen if, once, but we're probably not going to be around to see yeah, it. Yeah. We're, we're not worried about this if it, but you don't realize when you're just talking about one in a thousand years, that doesn't mean that it, you're going to get through 999 years. And then in that thousandth year, it's going to be the time when it fucking hits. So it could hit at any time. You're telling me there's a chance. But at the same time, you're also sitting there saying like that you have a thousand years of hard data on all of this shit for uh-huh. everything that's happened and that you can make an educated decision on this. You were picking stuff up from 1000 AD. Mm-hmm. 
No. Well, along comes Typhoon Nina. And Typhoon Nina apparently brought it within or brought with it a one in 2,000 year flood. So it's the kind of flood that happens every 2,000 years there. And just looking at the amount of water and rainfall, I, we've never, I don't know if there's ever been a typhoon that's happened in America. No, I think typhoons are kind of the thing that you think of when you're thinking about like the Indian Ocean. Godzilla. Yeah. Like Japan, Uh Indonesia, that entire area. It's still even part of the Pacific though. Yeah. There's just something about that area though. I don't know if it's the the way the land is structured or everything like that. Like, cause there's a lot of like inlets and uh-huh. all that kind of stuff. But Typhoon Nina comes in, drops a fuck ton of rain and flooding and everything over this area in China, which, you know, topography, everything is funneling into these. What was the name of the river? Uh, it was like the Zoom or? It was the Huai. The Huai. So dumps it into this and did you see the numbers for the water that was brought in? I saw I have the numbers for essentially the resulting flood of what occurred okay. after it broke. So the rainfall and the biggest issue that happened with Typhoon Nina was apparently it had met a cold front over this area. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't allowed to continue to push on through. To weaken itself or yeah, something so like that. It, well, and the weather system is going to continue to pass, so you're going to get less Oh, water. so the cold front holds it up yep. over a specific area. Okay. So their average rain per hour during this rain was seven inches an hour of rainfall. Over the entire day, it must not have been through the entire day because it would be impossible to get there. But their single day average... That's probably more than that, or about that. Yeah, probably around there. About the size of a, like a, a skinny can, like a Truly can or a mm-hmm. White Claw can. Think about that much rainfall. An hour. They hit 42 inches in one day. Almost four feet of water, three and a half feet of water in one day from this rainstorm. In a 24-hour period, dude. Just uh, the massive amount... Rivers, obviously, they are the lowest point where mm-hmm. water meets. Now think about having 42 inches of rain hit the ground in every area and flood towards the exact same area. Yeah. It's not like it's, you're talking about like, you can imagine like people thinking about a football field and then mm-hmm. raise a level of water, almost, you know, three and a half feet and being like, well, you can still wade through that. I mean, that's horrible flooding. No, no, no. All of that now coming into like a centralized point. Uh-uh. So you're extrapolating that. And now all of a sudden it's 40, 50, you know, raising levels by that much. Um, when a couple things that went into not only the insane amount of water that was being dumped into this river behind this, uh, dam and everything, but also the structural way that these dams were built because they were done so quickly, the materials that they used were really questionable. They used this stuff called peasant steel, Uh which the, the term in itself, you can probably imagine what they're referring to. They showed it. Did you see the, um, places where they were forging the steel, they would have these just like mobile forges and they basically just look like a bunch of like pottery kilns and that's literally what it was instead of mining the ore that they used to make the steel they would take the um refineries to where they were getting the Mm -hmm. ore so they were cutting up and just fucking up the land as far as forests wherever they had these big ore mines that Mm -hmm. they were pulling all this steel out of they were sending them straight to the foundries not a lot of quality control no not at all they it was literally i mean we have something in America that we call pig iron, and it's just basically like a mix of every mineral and ore that you can find, mm-hmm. and then it's cooked down into, or it's 
refined down on what's called pig iron, the impurities and shit. There's just a ton of it. Yeah. All this stuff wasn't refined down to where it was the purest steel ever. It was just whatever they could throw in there. So the tensile strength, you could never tell because it wasn't. It varied from, it could vary from fucking beam to beam. Exactly. Yeah. You could have 10 beams out of one, one pot that was all melted together, but that's not going to be the same as the next pot. No. So this thing with the amount of water, the poor design essentially of the dam, this dam ends up breaking, and I'm not sure if this was kind of the main one because it was the largest one. Yeah, I'm not sure how many of the 61 were behind this one, but uh, you have to imagine not only is the water coming down into this reservoir, you have dams probably breaking. I'm not sure how many up upstream or upriver. They're releasing all of their water down at the same time. Then you have this insane body of water that ends up collapsing, and the resulting flood when this the Bankow Dam ends up breaking, it caused a wave that was six a little over six miles wide uh, between 20 or sorry, between 10 and 23 feet tall and traveling at 31 miles an hour. Now I know because we're all used to driving in cars, speed limits, you know, on a freeway, 65, 75, whatever. The fastest sprinters in the world run, is it somewhere between like 13 and 15 miles an hour? I think so. Somewhere around that. And that's talking about like your Usain Bolts and like your cream of the crop mm, athletes. They might get up there because you see every once in a while on like fan grass for a receiver like 19, 20 miles an hour. Okay. So that's, that's still, it's a, still much less. That's still a superhero basically being able to run that fast. Yeah. And that the funny part about China is they always want to consider like what they've done the biggest and the best, which mm-hmm. I guess every country is. So it's not just China. Yeah. But once they, they made three major reservoirs, and it was the Bankyo Dam, the uh, Shimantan Dam, and then the Baishia Dam. Well, when they got done with the Bankyo and they looked at it, it already had cracks in the clay across the front of it. It was already starting to fail as soon as they had finished it. So they actually had another couple years where they continued to work on that and the Shimaton. And like, and what what kind of fixes can you? You can't go structurally inside the thing. No, You're basically like slapping plaster on this thing exactly. or trying to like fill the cracks. And so once they got done, they considered the Bankyo Dam. They called it the Iron Dam. It was supposed to be the Unbreakable Dam. That's right. Is what they called it. The Titanic of dams. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And much like the Titanic, we see the exact same thing. Uh-huh. So after the Bankyo ended up failing. Then it came through, and I believe it blew out the Shimaton, which is the second one. And not only, like, you got to think that, like, this isn't just, like, when something breaks, think of it in this form of, like, also kind of like an avalanche, too. When an avalanche comes down, yeah, you're seeing just a lot of snow and everything. But if you've ever seen, like, flood footage, it's carrying trees, rocks, Mm -hmm. anything it can. So it's not just like, oh, this dam is getting hit by a wall of water, which if you've even gotten hit by, go to a fucking wave pool if you have a water park Uh and just stand there and try to take like a wave that's not even your height. That's going to knock your ass backward. Now imagine there's all types of fucking like boulders and trees. So as soon as this weight and this flood of water hits one of these dams, it's not like it's like, I'm holding it back. It just fucking goes. Well, and they actually, uh, this happened over, I think it was a three or four day period. But August 6th and 7th is when most of the dams had ruptured. They actually realized 
kind of through just watching like basically the map of how this was all mm-hmm. going to play out that they sent out bombing missions and actually blew up. They were launching airstrikes yeah. against other yep. dams to try to kind of redirect the water or allow it to flow. Well, they knew that if they blew them early enough before the wave got to them, that it wouldn't just keep making the wave bigger and bigger and bigger. Okay, so it would they allow that water to, release to water oh, Okay, first. it would allow that water to release, which yep. would be a lesser amount of water. Exactly. Okay. But still, can you imagine that launch? You're a fucking fighter pilot. <laughs> and your job is to fucking, you're launching missiles at a dam, trying to fucking break this thing. Yeah, what about all these cities or all these villages that are around? It's just like, ah, eh, that's kind of And a lot of these are damage. super rural communities where it's like literally like villages and shit like that, where there might be what, like a few telephones or radios uh-huh. that are at these places. You're getting a telegraph. Yeah, and there's there's not a lot of like vehicles and stuff. So it's like the evacuation of these places it, you're not getting this isn't like a, a a mass exodus of people being like yeah we're just gonna get the fuck out of here it's like what do you mean like we have a day to pack up and try to escape like what's gonna be a fucking six mile <laughs> wide like flood wave coming at us I, I can't even my mind doesn't even let me go to how big like a, a six mile wave just thinking about trying to drive six miles if you're going what I think it's if you go 65 miles an hour, it's like 48 seconds a mile. Yeah, something like that. So if you're driving 65, you're driving for almost five minutes. Yeah. In Just say even 60 miles an hour, you're going a mile a minute. Yeah, you have to drive. Fuck and that, dude. That's insane. And it, it just in that path of those 62 dams. That and I'm sure that's a straight road going yeah. directly yep. away from the wave. So you're able, like, where are you going to fucking outrun it? You're, just, you're not. And that's why it encompassed 30 cities and countries or in counties, like as far as the provinces go. Mm-hmm. It destroyed 5 million houses and it displaced 11 million people. 11 million people. It displaced more than major cities. I, I don't, I think New York's like 28 million. So almost half of New York was displaced by this dam failure. All because the iron dam broke, the un- unbreakable dam broke. So what's funny is that kind of in in true fashion for uh, China, they try to downplay some stuff. So of course. what they originally came out after this happened, the casualty casualty report, they're like, uh, it's like 26,000 people died in this whole thing. And then it starts bumping up to where the range is closer actually to about 240,000 people. Yeah, 1987, they actually did release a book on it. So this happened 75, 12 years later, they release a book that finally starts to have higher estimates. And the guy that actually wrote the book, wasn't he one of the guys that was in charge of like... The water was, district. Yeah. Yep. So he, he was like he, part he was, of like the disaster relief or something like mm-hmm. disaster planning as part of this. So it's not like this is just a guy that's like, yes, I saw it happen. This is a guy that actually had like information regarding what the actual numbers and figures were. Yeah, so probably fairly... Fairly accurate data. Mm-hmm. And then but, even after that, the actual report was kept a state secret until they, uh, I don't even know what their classification for declassified would mean, but I'm guessing it's probably still that. I feel like that number 240,000 is probably still, I'm not saying it's a low end estimate, but if they're going to try to keep it, it's going to try to be on the lower end of it. Especially because all the information is going to be directly provided, essentially, by the Chinese government. 11 million people displaced and only 240,000 deaths seems like a very low number to me. Especially considering how fast all this happened. Yeah, it was in an instant. It was over four days. And 
like you say, these are small villages. These aren't like major metropolitan areas where people can drive their cars out and try to get out that way. They're on foot trying to hoof it and outrun a 31 mile. You can't walk 31 miles no. an hour. Like it's going to catch you eventually. But I mean, again, this is just something where man, and we've had, I think they said since what, 2000, between 2000 and 2009 worldwide. And of course the scale varies. There have been something like 200 dam collapses worldwide and it's just you know some of them they say are due to like earthquakes and shifting land and all that kind of stuff that's what i'm saying like not only do you have to think about all of that when you're trying to control parts of nature then it's not only the unpredictable what nature is going to do but it's also the fact that do we really know what we're doing in regards to this we think we know what we're doing we can make estimates we can you know use scientific data but at the same time we're basically just making our best guesses at how to do this kind of stuff. Uh, you never know. And that's also the catch 22 of playing with a, a water resource is you can dam it up. You can find a way to hold it back. But inevitably, if you don't continue to keep up on that, just like we've talked about through all of history, history is created on the banks of rivers. It's created on the banks of water sources. Mm -hmm. So any places where these dams are in the world, with probably the exception of like the Hoover Dam, but I would say even if that collapsed and let out Lake Mead, it would probably still get to Vegas somehow. Oh, yeah. I, or the just, I mean... In one way or another, it's going to impact it. Yeah. Uh, so there's always going to be people around where these dams mm -hmm. end up breaking apart. And I think nowadays we're probably a lot better. I don't know what the death toll count in America is. I know that America's had a few since the 70s where people have died. I think the Teton is one of them. I saw that. But the, the casualty on that, I think, was 11. in like the tens or yeah, it, was just like double, it was double digit. So it wasn't horrible. But at the same time, that's the other thing, too, is I think we've grown up at a time where that's just normal. You go look at a dam and you're like, whoa, that's big. But you don't really think about like, what is that? What's the purpose of that? Like mm -hmm. all yeah. the mountain has to do is shift. Uh, and you have dams in areas where earthquakes do happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that shit will, it, it'll eventually cause issues. You've seen Vegas vacation, right? Yeah. Where Chevy, where they're uh, touring Hoover Dam mm -hmm. and Chevy Chase chips a piece of uh, stone away and the water starts leaking through. Yeah. And so he tries to I've get I've actually toured Hoover Dam like that. So really? you go down into, they allow you to go to a, a lower point of the dam, but then there's literally like five or six levels below that that no one's ever allowed to go. You walk through an area in which there's, a, it's bedrock or limestone, but it's wet. And it's always wet because there's a little bit of water seeping through. Not enough to do like this little, you know, like the boy in the dike where it's like. Yeah, that, and that shit was just everything. funny. It was Chevy Chase humor. But yes, but you can literally like take your hand and if you cup your hand against it and wait long enough, like it will start to like fill up in your hand a little bit. I don't bit. like that. No. That's too scary for me. Because if that's a six foot hallway, that's just six more feet of inertia that it can get in order to hit the other side. Of and, it. and it's, like, and the water can get through there. If water's getting through that, what, you know, it can get through anywhere. Yep. Yeah. Water finds a way to get through whatever. And, and it what's can. that going to do in a hundred years? <laughs> it's just, yeah, just our, our, just, you know, our hubris that we're in control of this kind of stuff is you get reality checks every now and then, but, Nature you know, always wins. Yeah. Uh, what is it that 
dude said, oh, I guess it's life finds a way in Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, nature in itself will will find a way. If it doesn't like what you're doing, it's gonna it's gonna figure out a different way. You even see it just in in areas where you know, even where we live, like that some of the nicest homes in our area are in a floodplain. Yep. Knowingly in a floodplain. And somehow people have just made peace with the fact that maybe every two or three or four or five years, there's going to be a foot of standing water in, in their, their yard, <laughs> in their fucking yard and in their then through their living room and all that kind of shit. And then they're just going to be like, okay, well, insurance take care of it. It's like, why, why is it necessary to, to be, cause you want to have a nice view of the river. Like you understand that this is not just a pretty thing to look at. Like nature is literally the most destructive force you know, we've, we've, we talked about like the atomic bomb and everything like that. And that's us harnessing essentially a power of nature with like the splitting of the atom and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, that pales in comparison to what nature is capable of. We have a fucking super volcano sitting, you know, in the Northwest of our fucking country. The breadbasket of, yeah, the West. Yes. And we're just kind of like, well, we don't really, we, people make guesses like we think the last time it erupted was this and. Maybe it, it it's going to erupt again. We don't fucking know what's going to cause that. We would have no warning. And then you see what the blast radius of it would be, and it would wipe out like four states. Yep. Like in Pretty an quick. instant. Yeah. It's. I guess people like to go through life without thinking about that, because if you do pay too much attention to that or or think about it too much, you're just like, so this is all just kind of a gamble. It's like all we're a crap shoot. Time. Yep. Yeah. We we live in an area of the world where. I think we probably have it the best, but at the same time, there's so many things around us that can kill us, and we have no control over it. Mm-hmm. I think there were just a couple um, volcanoes in Alaska that were having earthquakes, like mm-hmm. they were getting ready to erupt. I don't know what that would do down here, but you have to think, excuse me, Mount St. Helens, when it erupted in the 80s, I think covered four different states with ash. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah, and there was just one, I think, in India that just went off and created one of those, what do they call them, pyroclastic, like the destructive cloud that'll just wipe out everything. Yeah, a Vesuvius type mm-hmm. And eruption. you just, people are just videotaping to be like, ah, oh. be like, no, like, not ah, like, that's just the destruct, and that's a fraction of the destructive force that, that the planet has. And then we spend the rest of our time trying to build shit to try to contain it, stuff that we really don't understand. It's just... It's crazy. We're on a clock. We're not on on, on human time. We're no. on ecological time. Yeah. Well, not a lot of positivity on the end of that one or anything. Live your life to the fullest. That's right. Live your life like tomorrow the fucking Yellowstone <laughs> the <laughs> the super, super volcano could fucking blow up and we're all fucking done for. But next time you see a dam, go up and kiss it for good luck. Mm-hmm. All right, you got any closing thoughts? Nope, we're good. All right, well, thanks again for listening, guys. Hope you got something out of it. We'll see you next week. Peace. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for another episode. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe and like button. Follow us. If you didn't like what you heard, still hit that anyway, because we'll probably cover something in the future that you do like. Um, please follow us on our social media. Adam, hit him with it. Uh, our Instagram is historically high pod, historically high pod, and we are on Twitter at historically high that's historically hi all right and if you guys want to send in any feedback suggestions hit us up on those two or you can even do it on gmail it's historically high podcast at gmail.com uh thanks again peace